This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here. Welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Uh, Robin Washhead is actually en route to New York City. Uh, he'll be there for the Big Ten Tournament, but we will hear from Robin in our next two segments as we talk uh, all Big Ten teams, Coach of the Year, Big Ten Tournament in New York City, as well as the NCAA bubble talk. But um, Nate and I wanted to kick the show off this week discussing the upcoming NFL Combine as you know, going into the year, it was kind of hard to know how many people Nebraska would have in the combine. It was a smaller senior class in a lot of respects, and um, Nebraska did have two guys declare early: uh, Nick Gates and Tanner Lee. So that they got invites to the combine, but you have Chris Jones, Joshua Kalu um, in in the combine, as well as kicker Drew Brown. Um, so honestly, it's about as many as you're going to probably see from a four and eight football team to have five combine invites um, in Indianapolis here this weekend. And it will be interesting to see uh, particularly kind of how a guy like Chris Jones runs, how Joshua Kalu runs and measures out. Um, I don't really know what the kickers do in the combine process, but Nick Gates, I want to see kind of what he looks like, Nate. Um, I know a lot of people were critical of his decision uh, to go, but he's going in as a guard. I ran into Zach Stirrup, former Husker player, Nate, um, with the Miami Dolphins right now, and he talked to Nick, and Nick said he's getting a pretty favorable third to fourth round grade right now from what he's hearing as a guard prospect. Well, I mean, that that's, that's better than I would expect. So if that's true, then um, uh, you know, I think that, that he's got an opportunity to – to maybe improve upon that and and end up being okay about you know with this whole thing I you know I think it it caught some people by surprise a little bit that he decided to to uh, to jump to the draft especially when you're a guard you know you don't see too many guards declare early uh, you don't see too many guards drafted super high so um, you know he's you know he's not your prototypical franchise left tackle that that can go ahead and, and command you know first or second round type of type of action and um, you know make it worth your while to declare early so he's, he's a guy that's got a an awful lot to, to uh, you know, ground that he could make up with a good performance uh, at the combine. Yeah, you think about guys at Nebraska in history that have gone early as interior linemen, and and there's few and far between. I mean, I, I know Dominic Riola when he declared, he was like a first or early second rounder, and obviously went on to a you know multi ten year plus career starting center. So his his decision made sense, but. Yeah, I just think the 4-8 and eight record clouded so much of Nick Gates, and he just didn't play well. I mean, he didn't look like the guy we saw when he beat out Zach Sturrup the year before. So this is a big uh, week for him. Um, you know, Joshua Kalu earlier in the year, Bob Diaco touted him as maybe the best safety in America. Um, and and But, he, you know, just the way the season went, we never really got to see Kalu shine. Chris Jones, I don't know if he was ever really all the way healthy. Yeah. Um, so for those two guys, too, this is a big weekend for them um, to see if they can run in, in that 4-5-ish. Um, I don't think 
Maybe Jones runs four fours, but uh, I, I see both guys probably more in the four fives. Yeah, I think that's pretty realistic. Um, you know, unless they've been training unbelievably well and, and are, are hitting their stride right at the right time here uh, with the combine. But those are the two guys that I feel like probably have the, the most to gain this weekend uh, because I, I feel like if, if they test out really well, you know, they've got the measurables. Um, you know, they you know, from a character aspect, I, I believe that that both those guys are going to do well uh, in the interviews, and and you know neither one of them has any baggage or anything like that that they're um, you know, that they kind of have for, during their time at Nebraska. So if they test well, I, I think those are two guys that that could really improve their stock a lot. We never even talked about this, but do you think? Um the Billy Devaney, Mike Riley, NFL ties. I mean, this was kind of like their last thing they did for some of these guys to maybe kind of push the ball over the goal line to get a couple guys in the combine, like a Drew Brown, like a Kalu. I think Jones was going no matter what. Obviously, Gates and Lee were going to go. But yeah. um, those guys were borderline combine guys. You think about, I mean, there's been some pretty good players over the years in Nebraska that haven't been invited to combines. Uh, Bo Rude was drafted, and he never got an invite to the combine. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, you wonder if the influence of Devaney and even a Mike Riley with the Gil Brants of the world and, and some of these NFL people played a factor. Yeah, it very well could have. And that's a good I mean, that's a good question, because if you had asked me at the beginning of the season, how many players from from last year's team are going to get invites to the combine? I wouldn't have guessed it would be this many. Um, and even if you know, even if um the the guys what Tanner Lee and and Nick Gates hadn't declared early I don't know if I would have guessed that there would be that many guys to to get invites so uh, so maybe that was maybe that was something that um, you know a few or whoever runs the the invites or or gives those invites out were able to uh, you know maybe Nebraska was able to kind of grease those wheels to make it happen and for Tanner Lee as we discussed the NFL Combine here on the Husker Online show. I don't know how important the combine truly is for him. He's already had interviews with almost every team um, that was in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. He had a week of practice there. Obviously, it was not his best uh, football uh, that he played out there in Mobile. And um, at the combine itself, you only get about fifteen or twenty throws. I mean, you don't you don't get a ton of throws. So that's why a lot of the guys wait until their pro day. Um, you see Sam Darnold from USC. He's yeah. not throwing at the combine. Um, they're going to do it in their own venue, and I'm, I, I don't know the details, but I'm sure Tanner Lee is throwing at the Combine. I don't think he can afford not to at this point, um, but just kind of where he falls will be the mystery. I think there was a thought of, if he had a good senior bowl, he could really put himself up there a lot higher than anybody thought, but I, obviously he did not have a good week in Mobile, um, so now he's got to really fight, in my opinion, to kind of hang in that rounds five to seven. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think that he um, – I'm not sure how much ground he can really make up, but at the same time, you can go down there and you can show that you're more than willing to do whatever anybody asks of you, um, whether that's more interviews or, or you know, uh, I mean, working out and, and doing whatever. Uh, you know, I think that that's, that's probably what, what he's going to be able to gain out of this weekend is just the – the being down there and and showing people that that he's eager and, and willing to do whatever it takes to um, to kind of you know have people learn more about him or get to know him better or whatever the case may be. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as um, we discuss the upcoming 
NFL Combine um, here in Indianapolis over the weekend. Um, that runs through Monday and Tuesday. I believe the defensive backs are the last guys that get it go. And, you know, Nate, we're around. You and I have probably witnessed and been around as much testing and combines as anybody um, because of our job that we started 15-plus years ago with Recruits Unlimited. We ran you know, 50 camps around the country um, and ran 40-yard dash stations and been to several of these things. And I'll be dead honest, I really don't find myself watching a lot of the combine. I mean, it, I, I like to see the numbers, but I don't <laughs> I don't get a lot out of just watching all the guys run. Yeah, and I, I don't watch it near as much as I used to. We have um, kids now. Yeah, it changes and, and a lot, I think, too. I think that's probably um, – I don't, I don't catch myself being able to enjoy near as many sporting events <laughs> as, as I used to. But, um, yeah, I, it, it, it all depends to me. You know, I'm paying more close attention when, when there's – obviously when there's a Nebraska guy uh, in a group that's working out or, or if there's, you know, some other guys that maybe I – uh, you know, talk to during the recruiting process that ended up going to other schools or, you know, players of interest like that. But from from start to finish, yeah, I'm not a guy that, that really will sit down and watch the entire combine anymore. It would be interesting. They would never do this, but you know how at the rivals camps and the Nike camps, they do the one-on-ones for O-line, D-line. If they did that at the combine, that would be pretty good TV. Yeah, it would be real good TV, but somebody then, would get hurt. Yeah, or, somebody would get hurt or, or you'd have all these you'd have all the players saying, "Well, I'm not going to not going to work out at the the combine anymore or whatever." So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think it would end up going over very well, but there you're right. That would be really really entertaining to be able to kind of pair up some of the top offensive linemen, top uh, defensive linemen and just have them go at it would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, so photo schools, I'll, I'll follow it, but I probably won't watch it wall to wall like our friend Mike severe I you know it's just it's just hard with our lives too to do that but you know I'm very interested to see the results and the numbers um, and how it all plays out now when we come back we're going to talk some Nebraska basketball Robin Washett's going to join us here for two segments as he's en route to New York City I believe he's already there now Um, so we'll, we'll discuss a number of Nebraska basketball topics and then our fourth segment McCook head coach Jeff Gross uh, he's going to join me. I was out in McCook on Monday. Uh, we talked about a lot of things, including Scott Frost, who grew up in McCook from grades 6, 7, and 8 uh, before moving to R- Wood River for his freshman year of high school and uh, just the impact Frost still has in that community to this day. And uh, we'll close it out with some recruiting talk, including a new in-state offer. Uh, and Nate will give us the full details on that. So that's all next on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now joined by Robin Washed, who is en route to New York City, though, as we speak, to cover the Big Ten basketball tournament. And we're not going to talk specifics about the Big Ten tournament because obviously it's going to run through the weekend. But we wanted to spend um, the next couple segments talking Nebraska basketball because that's what everybody around the state is talking about right now as Tim Miles has this team off uh, to a 13-5 and Big Ten record. Uh, Big Ten awards did come out as well, and uh, we wanted to spend this segment discussing that. Uh, Robin uh, was one of three people uh, in the Nebraska media that had votes for all Big Ten uh, ballots and also Coaches of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, et cetera, Robin. And uh, I guess first off, um, how, how did you uh, – is this the first year you voted on the, on the all Big Ten stuff? Yep, the first year. It was uh, when uh, Brian Rosenthal, the Journal Star, moved on to work with the university. A spot opened up, and 
from seniority, I was next in line. So what, how, did, how did you, I mean, when you did the balloting, I think it's a lot harder than people think uh, when you put together an all-Big Ten team. And, you know, from the Nebraska perspective, uh, James Palmer Jr. had a great season. Uh, he was first team by the coaches, second team by the media. Uh, where did you have James Palmer Jr.? And, and, and kind of what were your thoughts on him being second team by the media? Yeah, I uh, voted him first team. Uh, you know, just for a brief moment, you know, thought maybe I'm being a homer, but then I thought about it and it's like this guy was too good for too long to not be in that discussion. Uh, I mean, he scored in double figures in 30 of 31 games, uh, averaged almost 20 points per game uh, from the start of the Big Ten schedule, uh, and really was the catalyst for Nebraska's run into. Uh, to the fourth seed double by position that they are in right now. So uh, it was kind of a no-brainer, you know. After a brief pause, uh, I put him on there. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that the, during the ceremony or the award show, whatever, uh, John Christman of BTN um, kind of echoed what uh, I was thinking, too, is uh, Palmer probably should have been consensus between coaches and media. Um, obviously, Ethan Happ got the nod over him on the uh, media ballot. And Ethan had a really good year, especially considering a lot of times he was the only player uh, doing much of anything for Wisconsin, who was riddled by injuries and playing with a lot of freshmen. But that all being said, you know, look where Wisconsin ended up in the standings. Look where Nebraska ended up in the standings. Which player had a more direct impact on his team's success? And I got to say, James Palmer wins that hands down, which is why he got my first team all Big Ten vote. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Robin Washhead as we talk uh, all Big Ten and awards. Uh, Robin was one of three Nebraska media members that had votes uh, on, on these awards. And, and Robin, no other Nebraska guys got second or third team. Let me ask you this first. Did you have um, you know anybody from Nebraska on a third team even or a second team? And uh, was that a surprise to you that maybe um, you know somebody like a Copeland or a Roby didn't slide onto a third team? I did. I had Isaac Copeland third team. Um, and I guess a little bit surprised that no Huskers um, outside of James Palmer made um, any of the teams. Uh, obviously, Copeland got honorable mention. But when you look at the how those third, the second and third teams filled out, you know, you got to make the argument of who do you take off. And, you know, Minnesota's Jordan Murphy, had, he averaged about a double-double all season, uh, and he made third team. So, I mean, there was a lot of really good players that got bumped down um, onto those second and third teams list. So, I, you know, I thought Copeland got snubbed um, because I thought he was right there with Palmer for, um, you know, the really uh, the kind of biggest difference makers on this roster from last year to this year. Um, and obviously he put up some quality numbers, you know, average just under a double-double himself. Uh, and so, you know, I was a little bit disappointed in that regard, but not to the sense where, you know, I was up in arms about it. Um, you know, if anything, maybe this will be some motivation for him in the offseason. And, um, you know, just like James Palmer, he's going to have some decisions to make as to what he wants to do um, with his future after this season. And so maybe, you know, the fact that um, he didn't get that type of uh, recognition that, you know, some maybe thought he deserved, that'll be enough to bring him back for another year, which would be good news to the Huskers. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan with Robin Washett, who is en route to New York City. Uh, he'll be covering the Big Ten tournament on site for Husker Online. And uh, Robin, Coach of the Year, I wanted to hit with you on this topic as well. Um, yes, it was, you know, a slam dunk in a lot of respects. Uh, Ohio State's guy was going to win it, 
Um, but, you know, you can still make a really strong case. Nebraska was picked 13th, and uh, they go 13-5, and five, a team that was picked second to last for Tim Miles. This may have been a better coaching job uh, than what he did the first time when he won Big Ten Coach of the Year, the year he took Nebraska to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and so Chris Holtman obviously was very deserving and was kind of the front runner for that award for much of the season. And like Nebraska, you know, Ohio State was picked 12th, and they ended up finished third overall in the top 25 team. So uh, it was a really remarkable job. But I would argue that you know he inherited a pretty stock covered at Ohio State. It wasn't like he took over some complete disaster and did a complete turnaround. He basically took Ohio State. To where they should have been all along. Um, so, but you know, he also came in really late in the summer, and it had a very short amount of time to get that thing going. So, um, he actually got my vote for coach of the year, and I had Tim Miles second. So that was kind of chalk for for my ballot. But uh, if it weren't for Chris Holtman, Tim Miles would be a no brainer for that uh, Big Ten coach of the year. Now you better not. I mean, you could. You better not tell Coach Miles yeah, that. Coach Miles might be upset yeah. at you, Robin. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he can get over it. Uh, but. Uh, so the job that he did, uh, considering all the circumstances you know, that were surrounding this program, even dating back to last March when people were angry that Sean Eichhorst said that Miles was going to be back for another season and uh, thought this was a, a terrible move for the program and you know, Miles will never recapture that glory run that he had you know, a couple of years ago. Well, all they did was you know, assemble arguably the most talented team this program has seen uh, in almost two decades, and now are on the brink of making an NCAA tournament for the second time in six seasons. So, um, you know, I think that you really got to tip your cap to Miles and his staff for, um, you know, guiding this ship through some pretty choppy waters early on um, and doing everything out that they were supposed to do to get in position to be where everyone kind of set the bar of where they needed to be, and that was in contention to make the big dance. Um, obviously, they had some missed opportunities and some bumps along the way, but by and large, uh, this was probably as good of a year as most people would have predicted, and certainly, um, I think, uh, when you look at the wins, um, far better than anyone would have projected. Well, we'll continue this conversation here with Robin Washett as he's en route to New York City for the Big Ten Basketball Tournament. Uh, as we come back, we'll talk about playing in New York and uh, also the bubble. A lot of discussion this week amongst Nebraska fans and the NCAA Tournament. So we'll talk about all that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. It's a basketball-heavy show here today as the Nebraska basketball team is going to be in New York all weekend for the Big Ten Basketball Tournament. Obviously, we're not going to talk specifics about games because uh, it will be an ongoing event here uh, as Robin Washett is in route. But I do want to talk to you about this, Robin. Uh, you will be in New York uh, covering this event for Husker Online. <laughs> it sounds like this will be your last and uh, only trip to New York uh, covering the Big Ten Basketball Tournament. Yeah, uh, obviously this was something that uh, was Jim Delaney's brainchild, and he thought this was going to be a great opportunity to put the Big Ten on one of the biggest stages in basketball, Madison Square Garden, have it in New York City, uh, move it up a week earlier so that it's on its own um, platform uh, to where no other conference tournaments are going alongside it. And all it ended up doing was putting these Big Ten schools in a huge bind with a ridiculous schedule all season long. Um, 
making teams play four games in eight days, playing two conference games in early December, uh, and, and now having teams have to sit around for a week after the conference tournament wraps up to wait on their postseason fate until Selection Sunday, seven days later. So uh, it was a disaster of an idea from the get-go, uh, and to the point where Delaney has publicly come out and said this was a mistake. And so to, to his credit, at least he can admit when he's wrong. Uh, and, yes, I agree. I think from now on, uh, this East Coast invasion that we've seen, because remember it was in Washington, D.C. last year, which didn't make any sense at all either. Uh, and so I think hopefully they start to go back to the Big Ten roots of the Chicago's, the Indianapolis's, and uh, where keep that tournament where it belongs. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we we talk uh, Nebraska basketball with Robin Washed and um, you, you know there yeah I think it's going to be in Indian Chicago the next four years but um, there's still some rumblings of Philadelphia uh, as a possible site um, but it will be interesting to see uh, there's no question um, uh, about it but you know win or lose for Nebraska this is obviously a big big weekend for them um, they, they kind of put their best foot forward Robin in that Penn State win uh, 13 conference wins uh, but still their RPI kind of deadlocked in the 50s and it hasn't really moved um, so it's led to a lot of debate um, a lot of sensitive Husker fans uh, what's your read right now just on the whole situation of Nebraska's NCAA tournament chances and kind of the, the the metrics that are out there that people are reading into I think they're certainly good enough to be an NCAA tournament team there's no question about that uh, I think that their overall body of work um, is good enough, but the issue is we just nobody knows what the selection committee is thinking right now. Uh, Joe Lenardi doesn't know. Jerry Palm doesn't know. Uh, any of these bracketologists that think they have any clue about what that committee is prioritizing and how they're weighing different factors, uh, they're just lying and kind of blindly guessing. And so when they talk about these last four in, first four out, next four out, uh, they're really just guessing. They're basically college basketball weathermen. And so people that are getting uh, stressed out and you know, losing sleep over where Nebraska's sitting on the bubble, uh, I would just say just you know sit back and just let this thing play out because the only people that know ultimately where Nebraska stands or where any of these other bubble teams stand are the members of the NCAA section committee chaired by Bruce Rasmussen, the Creighton AD. So um, I think he said it best when he was on a local radio station earlier this week. He said, um, to paraphrase, that his wife could probably fill out a better bracket than Joe Lenardi could. So that tells you everything you need to know about these prognostications of um, you know Nebraska needing to do this or where they stand and what their RPI is. You know, I think there's going to be so much objectivity in the ultimate decisions with some of these teams that it's impossible for anyone to know just based off analytics and metrics and quadrants and whatever it may be to think that that is a clear-cut formula that will ultimately define who gets in and who doesn't. Yeah, to me, Robin, the, the debate's going to come down in the end to the SEC, the Big 12, and Nebraska. You know, can the committee really say the Big 12 is seven or eight teams deep in the tournament? Can they say – uh, the SEC seven or eight are well those you know because right now Lenardi and those guys have eight teams from each and that includes Oklahoma that includes Baylor and Texas from the Big Twelve um, and, yep. and you know some lower level SEC teams as well uh, can they truly say that Nebraska is not as good as those teams if they put them on the court and I think for Nebraska you got to be real uh, optimistic Bruce Rasmussen was in Lincoln to watch the Penn State game he's a former women's basketball coach but he knows the game. 
And I think he's going to have a strong voice in that room, um, almost kind of a Barry Alvarez type voice when he was on the college football playoff committee, uh, ex-coach type voice that uh, when he says something, it's going to carry some weight. And it, it will be interesting to hear what Rasmussen ultimately will say behind the closed doors when it comes to Nebraska, because I think it will be ultimately his call. Yeah, and so that's you know, even more good news is that that was at least the third time he has seen Nebraska play in person. And there may have been more, and I just didn't see it there. But the Kansas game, he was in Lincoln. Obviously, he was at the Creighton game in Omaha and then uh, Penn State to close out the year. So, I mean, he has seen Nebraska up close. And when you talk about that, um, the objectivity of the eyeball test, uh, to have the chairman of the selection committee be able to see Nebraska give Kansas all they could handle and come within one shot of beating the Jayhawks. To see uh, Nebraska push his Creighton team on the road and be within three points inside the final minute of the game, um, I mean, that, 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 that strikes a chord, I think. And then obviously um, beating a Penn State team that was playing for their bubble hopes, uh, not only by double digits, but to lead by 10 or more points for 30 of the 40 minutes of that game, uh, I think Nebraska has done enough uh, when they had that opportunity to show um, maybe the most important member of that selection committee what they're all about. And so I do think that that is going to be, and again, that's something that uh, these bracketologists just aren't taking into account. That, uh, you know, and Bruce Rasmussen has said time and again that it's not just how many quadrant one wins you have, how many quadrant two wins you have, how many RPI uh, points you have, or where your strength of schedule is. It's going to be. Did you challenge yourself with scheduling intent, quote-unquote? That's a, a term that they're um, incorporating this year in the, in the selection process. Is did you go challenge yourself by playing good teams on the road or at neutral site tournaments? Um, and then how, not only what was the outcome of those games, but how did those games come about? You know, I mean, how did that result come to be? And so you look at it, they lost to Kansas on paper. And that's all that these team sheets show. They don't show that they, like I said, came within you know a couple seconds and one final shot from beating a team that some are considering a number one overall seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I think those are the types of things that when I, when I talk about the objectivity are going to carry a whole lot more weight than, you know, these, these national uh, bracketologists want to, want to admit. Yeah, they're just so driven by the numbers because that's obviously – been a big part of it over the years, but it, you, you just get the sense it's going to be more. And I've seen the Big 12 play. I've seen they're good leagues. Don't get me wrong, but nobody can tell me that Nebraska would not be able to hang with or beat a lot of those teams five through eight um, in the Big 12 or the SEC. Yeah. And again, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, since I guess Tim Miles was kind of backing off, you know, taking a firm public stance against this, but recently uh, that has all changed. In fact, he took to, to Twitter and put Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com on blast a little bit for his uh, predictive, uh, predictive, I can't remember, predictive analysis or whatever it is, uh, where you know his, his rankings, which is a factor um, on these NCAA team sheets, uh, wh- where they had him to begin the year, and so he kind of does screenshots of where Nebraska was uh, in November, in January, and then here in February, and he starts it off with. Uh, telling his wife, let's hold off on the kitchen remodel in November. And then, you know, January comes around and it's like, hey, let's, uh, should we be looking at a real estate agent right now? And then, you know, in February, they show that here they are projected to win 22 games uh, to close the regular season. And so it just kind of shows the flaws 
in some of these metrics that are being so heavily relied upon by these national analysts. And again, to further stress that point, it's going to go much more beyond what you see on the, the team sheet and on the RPI uh, for who goes to the NCAA tournament and who doesn't. Well, Robin, it's going to be a fun-filled a uh, couple of weeks here as we watch the Big Ten tournament and, and kind of then sit around and wait as uh, we wait for Selection Sunday. But uh, nobody's going to bring you more coverage on Nebraska basketball than Robin, who is in New York uh, covering the Big Ten tournament, and uh, he'll, he'll be back as well. And if Nebraska's in the tournament, uh, even um, a playing game, Robin will, will be there as well. But, Robin, uh, safe travels and enjoy the Big Apple. Looking forward to it. My first time in New York City, so uh, if anybody has any recommendations, send me a tweet. <laughs> I'm jealous, man. Well, uh, much more to come. Uh, we are going to switch over to recruiting uh, next. We'll hear from McCook head coach Jeff Gross as uh, I was in McCook this week for the in-state tour. Uh, we talked about a number of things, including Scott Frost, who grew up in the town of McCook uh, throughout junior high and, and just kind of the impact he's had around there uh, e- even years later. So that's all next. Here, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. It's in state tour time around the state of Nebraska. We've traveled everywhere uh, from north to south to east to west, and uh, right now we are on the west. Uh, the western swing of the in-state tour uh, to the place we've probably been to more than any school out west, uh, McCook, a longtime friend here of Husker Online, Coach Jeff Gross. Uh, Coach, first of all, thanks for uh, having us out here at McCook again. Hey, Sean, we're glad to have you. We uh, we had a great event um, for Husker Insider, and uh, we love uh, uh, being involved with your program, and and we appreciate everything you do for kids out in the in, on the entire state, and also continuing to uh, uh, create excitement through uh, rivals and through everything we do for Nebraska. Yeah, we've been doing an event. I think nine years. I think I've come out here fourteen years in a row now to visit with you, and we. There's a lot of we've learned. There's a lot of great Husker fans out here that want to hear what's going on. And with Coach Frost being announced, that was uh, we had a record crowd um, at, at the Copper Mill Steakhouse on Monday night. Yeah, we did, and uh, you know we were actually kind of laughing and, and that uh, we might have been to a third full crowd. It might have been our smallest crowd, and it went from our smallest crowd to our biggest crowd. And and for those of you, most probably everybody knows Coach Frost's history, but he uh, he spent three years of his life, his middle school years, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade living in McCook when his dad Larry was the head football coach here so there's a there's a lot of ties here there's still a lot of people there's some of his friends from uh, those days that stay in touch with him that live here and uh, so uh, there, there's a lot of frost talk and a lot of frost chatter and and uh, you know I'll uh, I'll turn his ear at some day and see if we can get him to come back to his old stomping grounds for an event or something but um, there there's you know, kind of like Wood River's his home, McCook's partly his home. Before that, we're going to be pulling for all the success we can for Coach Frost. And and him and I have crossed paths through his career um, when he was at Northern Iowa. When he was at K-State, he uh, he coached our two McCook boys there the year, and they had a great relationship.
relationship, and he'd came to McCook a couple times through that when he was in the recruiting process with uh, Josh Cherry and Tony Purvis. And so, um, you know, kind of neat when he when he first called me after he took the job this year in the recruiting, it was just, "Hey, Coach Gross, it's Coach Frost." And so it was just like, you know, I talked to him the week before. There was n- not any introduction, and and it was amazing to me a guy like him. He goes, "Man, you guys have been doing awesome. I always follow your success." So, and that's easier to do when it's been a place you've been i'm sure he still checks how wood river does you know he still obviously checks how nebraska does but i'm sure he follows up with all those stops he's been at northern iowa k-state oregon so uh you know uh, it's just kind of neat how uh uh somebody like him the knowledge base and the 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 reserve of all the people you've met and how it's still a name with a face yeah when you you go back you said he was here for sixth seventh eighth grade i know you weren't in mccook yet but um what do people say about that era do they do they remember him as an athlete out here and i'm I'm sure he was obviously a standout uh young player here in in the program at mccook at that time you know that they talk about the potential that was there steve his older brother was was a little bit older and playing um as they went through um they talked about a lot of the you know the aau and the track and how well the frost boys uh, did um mccook went through some struggles at, at that time football wise at the varsity level so you know but those kids were younger so you don't hear as much uh, about that other than as he went on and had his success at wood river and, and then at uh, you know to stanford and then the university of nebraska obviously uh, everybody kind of felt him as a native son as well and so uh, and, and you know um like i said we've got some people around here that were close friends and still remain close friends last year there's you know uh, uh, several f- people that i know of that i'm friends that went to his wedding in arizona because they've always remained that relationship but the memories of of scott being a junior high kid are vivid i mean he's got his picture over in our uh, uh junior high trophy case where their group went to an undefeated eighth grade season and and i imagine he was a heck of a dude as an eighth grader just like he was as a senior in high school or a senior in college at that level he was pretty dominant i'd imagine we're joined by McCook head coach Jeff Gross here on the in-state tour here on the Husker online show. And coach, um, a lot of our listeners probably haven't been out to McCook to see a game before, but you know, I've been out here a number of years now. And I, I tell people, it reminds you of going to like a small town in Texas or somewhere where, you know, the football is so important to the community. Um, just give everybody an idea what it's like coaching here at McCook. And it's one of the real towns outside of Omaha and Lincoln that's had sustained success, um, a built program where every year it, it seems like you guys are right in the quarterfinal or semifinal conversation. Well, it's a, uh, it, it's a family atmosphere, you know, uh, people, McCook's a proud community. You know, we've had a, a politically a very proud run, you know, from uh, George Norris and Ben Nelson and even Dave Heineman grew up here. I think there's there's some form of four or five of the governors have been uh, had ties to McCook. And so politically, it's strong. It's a very conservative group. And they're they're proud people wherever you uh, mention it. And and uh, when I got here, McCook had been on a long run of success through the 90s and had kind of fallen off towards the end of the 90s and uh, you know once we got the thing on top it was just amazing this is the the ability to sustain the success and and do the things we are and it's easy when um, kids grow up and they go to historic Wyland Field we call it and it's a packed house you know uh, 
most class B schools don't get the opportunity to say you play in front of 2,000, 2,500 people on a, on a nightly basis. And, you know, our JV games have, you know, 800 to 1,000 people. Our freshman games, half the stadium's full. And same way with our junior high. So it, it's just a integral part of what our, peop- what our kids do. Um, they grow up dreaming of being good, and then they put the time and effort in. We don't do anything magical that other people do. We're just consistent. Um, we've had some great athletes. You've been out here 14 years. It's because we've had 14 years of having some really good kids. And uh, it's easy to be successful when you got great athletes, but you also have to develop and mold those kids. And, and I would say that's probably been uh, the coaching staff's here. Number one philosophy is we want to mold and develop kids. We want to take the marginal football player and make him good. And we want to take a, a good football player and make him great. And we want to make a great player and make him, uh, you know, all state. Uh, I, I gave a coaching talk a few weeks ago at a clinic in Ogallala. And before that, I'd added up in my 20 years here, we've had 14 super state players. That means that super state, the best top 22 players in the state. Um, there's not a lot of class B schools that have had one. Um, you start getting to Western Nebraska when Garrett Nelson at Scotts Bluff was named Super State this year. That's probably the first Class B guy I can think of west of, of uh, you know, the Grand Island Kearney for the last several years that's even been in that it, it's a McCook kid or nobody you know and so uh just the to think that we've had that many kids and you start rolling through the names over the years you know from the the Stuart Frazier and Ben Klugs to uh Trent Lyons to uh, uh you know Josh Cherry and Tony Purvis and and uh Jake Schlager and Bryce Lyons and Zach Schlager I mean that's a lot of Tyrone Sellers you leave out a kid that was the Gatorade player of the year and had seven division one offers so we've been fortunate to have some really, really good kids. Um, with uh, with uh, DJ, my son, getting the uh, Division One off earlier this year, he'll be the eighth Division One kid we've had out of here in about the last um, 10, 12 years, you know. So uh, part of that is we're on the map, and so people know to come out and look at our kids. And I think you, you look at your coach and your son, and it's going into his senior year. You're also the principal, um, and I believe you're the only Class A or B football coach slash principal in the state that I know of. There might be some C guys like Beller and, and, and um, the guy in Pierce. I know he's been a principal there as well. But um, And your dad. I mean, you're, you're a busy guy uh, managing all this. But this year has to be one of the years you're looking forward to more than ever. Your son's going through the recruiting process, picked up his first offer as a linebacker at South Dakota, getting Northern Iowa, South Dakota State, a number of other teams um, have already shown some interest. Yeah, it, it, it's been it's been really fun. It's always fun when you uh, go through it. You know, a lot of the kids that have committed their families. You know, when Josh Cherry went through the Division One process, and and his mom and dad are are uh, probably some of our best friends. And Co- and Russ Schlager, uh, Jake and Zach and Joe's dad. I mean, we're like uh, inseparable families. And to go through the process with them was really really special. Um, some funny stories about how the recruiting took place in some of those. Um, to go through with your own sons, a, a, a whole nother deal. Um, when, uh, you know, South Dakota came out at the beginning of December, 
or excuse me, the beginning of January and, and called and said they were coming out and, and came out and said he wanted to offer DJ a scholarship. I mean, it's pretty hard to control your emotions almost because you want it for your kid, but you don't know if he's going to get there, you know, and, and uh, so just to prove that enough people think highly enough about what he's done um, is pretty special. It is. And there's nothing like coaching your own kid. Trust me, it comes with its its trials and tribulations, and and probably the uh, DJ sophomore year was probably one of the toughest years on a kid ever in the twenty years he's been in McCook. Um, it was right up there with Jake Schlager's sophomore year and Zach Schlager's sophomore year and Trent Lyons' sophomore year when his dad was was one of my coaches. So coaching your kids when you want to make them earn it and you want to make them prove they're worthy, and so you kind of beat their brow when they're sophomores, but then you reap the rewards when they're juniors and seniors. And so, um, you know, we're in that reaping the reward time right now. And uh, I've enjoyed coaching DJ. I probably my favorite thing with coaching him is, is track is I've been his posi- his throws coach since he was probably – when I coached the throws, when he was about fourth or fifth grade, he would come up every night to practice. So he's been throwing um, since he was a fourth grader. And uh, that's something that him and I can come up on a weekend and just do, and that's more dad time. Whereas football, I'll be honest, I have to go back on Friday night or Saturday morning and watch the film to see what DJ's done because – I'm so ingrained to being a coach for 29 years. I watch my position. I'm the offensive coordinator. I have to be looking at the defense. I have to be evaluating where we're going to be. And when we're on defense, I'm usually making corrections on offense or I am paying attention to our defensive ends. I don't have a clue how DJ's (laughs) done unless it's a big play that he's made, you know. And so – but I feel like that's what I've been trained to do. I can't afford the luxury of on Friday night being dad. Um, you know, I don't call a play to get DJ the ball. I call what I think's open, and, and uh, hopefully he's good enough that he goes out and makes plays on his own. McCook head coach Jeff Gross here, our guest on the Husker Online Show. Coach, we appreciate the time and uh, look forward to following your season coming up and uh, your son's recruitment process as well. Thanks for everything, and uh, go Huskers. All right, much more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show final segment brought to you here by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha and two in Lincoln. It's your spot to go watch the Big Ten tournament coming up uh, this upcoming weekend here as well as all the other March Madness action. I can tell you, I'll probably be in Tanner's uh, some of these March Madness days as well because you're not going to get better wings or uh, beer uh, from any sports bar around here in Lincoln or Omaha. But, Nate, let's talk some recruiting. Um, Nebraska makes their fifth in-state offer um, this week. It was on uh, Wednesday in Norfolk Catholic. And coincidentally, you were in Norfolk Catholic with Greg Peterson, our video producer, uh, Ethan Piper, a guy, a guy that – we have been following here on Husker Online since the end of his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been a big 6'3", 6'4", kid at a young age with great feet, uh, good weight room numbers. Um, and Nebraska comes in. They follow Iowa. Iowa's offered him uh, you know, a m- month or two before this. Uh, but your thoughts on Ethan Piper getting a Nebraska offer, and, and I get the impression he could be a commit here um, in the coming days or week. Yeah, yeah, he really could be. In that offer, I think has really changed everything because 
Uh, Iowa had been doing a heck of a job of recruiting him, and he is set to visit Iowa this weekend, and and that will still happen even though Nebraska's come in with the offer, um, and, and mostly because he said you know it's out of respect that 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 I you know keep my visit plans to Iowa City because they've done such a great job of recruiting me, and and uh, so he's going to be going there. But he did say I plan to make things official next week, and he said I'm going to do whatever it takes to to make Nebraska great again. So. I mean, I think everyone can kind of read the the tea leaves there, but uh, I love Ethan Piper as a prospect and, and as a kid. He's a great kid too, very smart uh, student, and I mean, he's really the total package. But six four, two hundred eighty pound kid that's got a thirty one inch vertical, uh, terrific weight room numbers. I mean, just really, really athletic kid uh, that's a hard-nosed, kind of blue-collar type of guy, uh, l- loves to get after. He's a two-way player uh, for for one heck of a football program there at Norfolk Catholic and, and Coach Beller there. And, uh, I mean, the thing about it is that he, he could legitimately play on either side of the football in college, too. And, and uh, it's interesting to me that Nebraska is going to start him out on the defensive side of the football. Um, you know, I had always kind of thought, uh, since we saw him as a freshman, I always kind of thought, okay, well, this kid would probably be probably be a, an offensive lineman, probably an interior guy at the next level. But, um, you know, I, I really do think that he, he could be a, a really good defensive lineman at Nebraska. He's And, and I think that kind of speaks to his his overall athleticism and, and how, uh, you know, a guy at 280 pounds can can run and it can be as explosive as he is. You know, Nate, this is the fifth in-state offer Nebraska's made as well um, in the class of 19, and this is all before March 1st, which we've been doing this a number of years yeah. now, and it's hard to think of very many years where five Nebraska kids have received Husker offers before March 1st of their in their, in their junior year still. Um, it's a much different approach. I think it's the approach that you and I have always kind of thought maybe they should have been doing in the first place instead of him hauling and kind of waiting to see what other teams do to the local guys and maybe jumping in late. Uh, they are not letting that happen. They are getting on these guys early and, and making it known that they want these players. And I think it's going to go a long way in the long run. Um, and it's interesting when you get out of Omaha, you got a Norfolk guy, a York guy, a Scott's Bluff guy. Those are the guys that are usually going to commit almost immediately. It's the Omaha area now where you've got to do a little bit more whining and dining, and um, that's going to be you know interesting with the two Burke kids, Nick Henrick and Chris Hickman. But uh, the in-state approach has been different, but I think refreshing to see it go this direction. Yeah, it really has been. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, the high school coaches are liking the new approach, um, whether it's it's the, you know, the approach of – offering no-brainer type of in, in-state kids early or or even the uh, with the walk-on approach that, that we saw kind of play out here over the last few months. I mean, uh, I, I think every high school coach that, that we've seen on our in-state tour has been very, very excited about what's taking place at, in, in Lincoln and uh, kind of the, the way that they're going to be handling in-state recruiting right now. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't really recall this many early offers going out uh, in-state-wise um, you know, it, it, at this point in the game, I mean, it's is, and if it has happened, it's, I mean, it's pretty rare. So um, I think it speaks to the overall talent that's in in this class and 
and I think 2020 could even end up being better uh, in-state wise. So uh, I think for Coach Frost, that's kind of a nice problem to have because you're going to be able to to kind of establish your base of in-state commitments uh, really prior before before the things start getting real crazy. Um, you know, and with with visits starting in, in April and and uh, you know guys starting to take official visits and, and doing all that type of thing. We're talking uh, recruiting here on the Husker Online Show as we wrap things up here uh, on this um, pre-March Madness edition, Nate, and um, it, it will be interesting, too, just to see um, with spring practice starting, I know junior day is kind of around the corner, April 7th and April 21st, the red-white game. Uh, we're even having some recruits tell us May, March 31st, um, you know, Nebraska could be hosting something as well on that day. Uh, but just the approach, um, how Nebraska brings guys into spring practices and uh, kind of what kind of response we're going to see, because we know what the staff has done on the recruiting trail. Um, I expect to see a lot of different guys pop in and out of Lincoln here over the month of April. Yeah, I do too. I'm, I'm fully expecting a lot of, especially kind of, players within the 500 mile radius uh, I think that's you know whether they're guys from St. Louis or Kansas City or Wichita uh, even you know even Denver uh, I think that there's going to be some guys from the state of Iowa uh, maybe Council Bluffs pop- popping in uh, throughout the spring and um, you know, and I think that they'd like to bring some of their top targets in and, and kind of make it more of a personal deal uh, to allow them the opportunity to, to really get some great face time with, with uh, these recruits and, and kind of strengthen those types of relationships. Because, I mean, let's face it, they they still haven't been here that this that long. Uh, they're just now kind of really getting settled in and, and uh, getting things going. And, and so I, I think the spring is going to be vital to to get a lot of those guys on campus and, and kind of uh, get that face time in with a lot of these kids. And then then you mix in your, your big junior day events, whether it's on the 31st, 7th, or, uh, and then we all know what the spring game is always, uh, what, what type of event that always is. But uh, I think we're going to see a big focus on kind of getting these personalized visits in throughout uh, from now until the end of the, the spring. And the other thing I'll say, Nate, is we've heard this a lot over the years. We're going to lock down the borders and we're going to recruit the 500-mile rate I mean, that's great red meat to throw out to the base, yep. and people eat that up. But I don't know if Nebraska's really followed through with those words. But from what I'm seeing right now in Missouri and Iowa and Kansas and Colorado um, and obviously locally here in Nebraska, um, Nebraska is trying to emphasize those things. I, I think they see the skill talent in Missouri. They don't need to go to Florida necessarily next year to get a lot of receivers and skill guys. Um, there, there's enough talent in places like Missouri in this region that they can get um, a core of this class from the 500-mile radius. And I get the impression of the 25 they get. I wouldn't be surprised if close to half is a 500-mile radius group. I think it needs to be. You know, if we're, you know, the big question that everyone's been asking is, okay, well, they signed the 21st class in the country in only two months' time. What can they do in a full year? Uh, you know, can can they consistently sign top 15 classes? Well, if they're going to, I think they need to, to be – pulling the, the best kids from the 500-mile radius uh, and, and filling out at least half their class with those guys. And uh, and I think the way the talents in the area sets up for 2019 and even 2020, 
Uh, that's more than possible. When you break down the numbers, and I, and I looked at this in, in our three and out this week, um, there's already 64 players in the border states to Nebraska, including Nebraska kids that have Power 5 offers. So that's Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri. That's a lot. Yeah, and, and there was only 63 all of last year. So we're only a couple months into this year, and there's already one more Power 5 offer kid in the border states. So that states. should grow 15 or 20 more. Easily. And in, in, in Missouri, for instance, has 26 guys already and with you, Power 5 offers. And you're not counting the Iowa and Kansas Juco names, right? And no Juco guys in that. Because that's only high school kids. Because that can really, I mean, that can throw it off a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, that can skew things big time. But because of the Juco's in the yeah, two states. No, I, that's not counting any ju- junior colleges in Iowa or Kansas. So to have 64 kids in your region, in the border states only, to Nebraska um, with Power 5 offers at this point in, the, in time, and with that being one more player than what you saw all of last year, and I think 20, uh, 2016, I think, was 58. So we're seeing an upward trend in talent in, in the region, and I think the, the time is right for that focus to be there finally uh, and for, for a staff to finally follow through on on not only recruiting in-state properly, but uh, but making Kansas City and St. Louis and Denver um, you know, a priority going forward. Well, on Friday night, we'll be two weeks away from the start of day one of spring practice on March 16. I'm getting excited. Yeah, it's 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 nice to have a little bit of a, a break there. I know some I know spring ball has kind of started at a couple different places around the country, but at the same time, uh, yeah, be ready to to get football underway again. They'll have one practice before spring break, and then they'll do the remainder following. But March 16th, right now, will be. Uh, the first practice right now for the Huskers. So uh, we're getting closer to that date. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.